in First John this morning, and um, this has been a. It, of exciting is the word. It's just it's been a a, a good series um, for me. I I don't know. I get like it's I have the the responsibility, but also the privilege of studying scripture for my vocation, and I have found it very impactful. And I don't know if that's because um, God knew that um, the way to get me in scripture the most consistently would be to make it my job. Uh, I don't know. That, but it, anyway, it, studying this book has really, has really been impactful for me, and I hope it has been for you as well. Um, so let, let's dive right in. We're going we're gonna to read the passage. Um, this is chapter 5. We just have a little bit. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, to death he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins, that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, God, I pray that we would do so with humility, that we would do so with an open mind in a way that we ought not to necessarily open our minds to all other things, but that God, we, by that I mean that we, that we allow your word to inform our thinking, our feelings, and most certainly our actions and our beliefs. God, I, we're all guilty of it, of coming to your word with a preconceived idea of what's, what's okay or not okay, and holding on to those preconceived notions regardless of what we read in scripture, but God, I pray that your word would reign supreme in our lives, that, would, that your word would always have the final say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'm, ex I'm excited for, for this, this passage because this has one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, which is the first one we read here. Um, chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God 
that you may know that you have eternal life. That is such a powerful verse, and and I hope you see it. It's powerful because it tells us something that we can know. Um, I used to see this a lot in youth ministry. I spent about 10 years in youth ministry before I moved down here to Florida. And what I would see a lot, and since then I have discovered it is not unique to children in youth ministry, but I, I've seen that a lot of believers go through their, their lives, their Christian walk, on this roller coaster, constantly going back and forth on whether or not they feel saved. Knowing what they believe, but at the same time, I, you know, a lot of times, and I would always do this with, with teenagers, um, and again, I don't think it's unique to teenagers, but this was my experience uh, so often. Uh, someone who I knew, you know, often it would be a kid that I had prayed with before, um, that they had professed a belief in Christ, and they would, uh, they would, they would just, they, they would have all these doubts and all these questions. And that's, I, w- I just want to say, that's okay. It's okay to, que- it's okay to have questions. I know that some may have grown up in a church where they told you it's, it's not okay to ever question anything. You just need to, just need to sit down and sit down and shut up and take it or you know whatever but but you know it's 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 okay to ask questions as long as we go to the source for the answers to those questions but there would always be this question like i don't know if i'm saved i don't, I don't feel saved my first question would always be two things one was the last time you spent any time in god's word and two what sin are you involved in it seemed like invariably there would be um, one or both of those things in play that uh, that would be clouding their their um, perception of their own um, salvation. Now, certainly, we can see how that how that is. Well, I, I I know I believe this, but I look at my life and I realize I'm doing this. So it kind of begs the question: Do I really believe this if I'm living comfortably like this? Well. Yes, that is the question. That's a very good question. That's a question we should lean into in our lives when, you know, if, and, and that's something that we've looked at throughout this book, particularly at the beginning, um, that it is inconsistent for believers to be able to comfortably live in a pattern, knowingly live in a pattern of habitual sin. Um, if we, we in no way, do I ever want to suggest that a believer can lose his salvation? Because if that was possible, why would John write that you may know? If it's all up in the air until you breathe your last breath, then how can you know? So I never want to suggest that that, that could even be in the realm of possibility um, because that, uh, that, is, that is not how, how we understand Scripture. There are those that teach that. Uh, but we believe we believe that uh, there, there is much more teaching in Scripture that makes it clear that if you can fall away that far, you were never one of us to begin with. And that's important. You know, there's, Jesus told a parable about the the wheat and the tares. There was a farmer that planted. I'm not going to turn to it, but basically, he tells a parable where a, a, par, a farmer planted his 
crop. And a little while later, when the when they started to um, everything started to grow, his servants came to him and said, "Hey, listen, boss, somebody in the night must have come in and like planted weeds in your field." It's obvious now we can see as they're growing. What what do you want us to do? You want us to go tear them all out? He said, "No, leave them. It'll all come out in the wash." You know, he's basically he basically said, "Leave it." There's too much risk of damaging damaging the others. When we harvest them, it'll be clear which ones are the crop we planted and which one are the weeds. And it's a, it's a clear teaching that it's not our job to go root out everybody that we think maybe isn't a Christian. That's, that's, not, that's not the point. God will sort it out. But it's also a very clear teaching that those that are, if to use the illustration, those that are wheat and those that are tares, it'll become clear. It'll become clear. And so, so uh, the, the first thing that we want to look at here in verse 13 is that we have confidence in our salvation. Confidence in our salvation. You believe in the name of the Son of God you may, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a... As we look back over this this short epistle that we've that we've read and, and taught through, we see a kind of a whole list of of evidences that that a believer might see in their lives ought to see in their lives that they are in fact secure in their salvation in Christ. Um, for instance, this is real low hanging fruit. We love God. Certainly, someone who does not would not even profess to love God um, cannot cannot have faith in Him. Um, we we love God. If we we really believe that God made a way for us to have our sins forgiven, and to have our favor in His eyes restored, and to spend eternity with Him, certainly there would be a love that would come in response to that. Well, love for God, um, outpouring of that, a love for God, and a love for God's people. That's that's another that's another one and and again it's not my it's not my job to tell people well if you think this or you say this then you're not a believer that's okay that's the sound of a church that's growing we like that sound but poor Mac um, it's it's not my I I'm not going to stand up here and say well if you if you you know are outside of church and don't have any desire to get plugged back into a church, then you're not saved. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I would have questions. I would love to sit down and talk with, with someone that has that mindset. But, but God says we will love him, and if we love him, we will love his children. There's a desire for God. There's a desire for God's people. Another thing that we saw is in, in chapter 3 is that we practice righteousness. There's intention. Do, do, when you look at your life, do you see intentional effort to at least try, you may, maybe you fail, but are you at least trying to act in a way that is in accordance with God's will and God's word? Is there effort on your part to practice righteousness? Should have said this one first, faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that Jesus is the Christ. That's pretty key. <laughs> Uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, that's not something that we see as, as separate from salvation in that it, it happens immediately at the, at the moment of salvation in the believer. With that comes spiritual gifts. There are churches that would teach, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you must not be saved. Because if the Holy Spirit's in you, you do that. We don't, we don't teach that here. That's a whole other thing we're not, we're not going to get into. But, but I, I want to be clear that, you know, that this isn't like, well, if you can't show us you got some spiritual gift, you must not be one of us. That's not the point. It's not about proving something to me or anyone else in this room. You look inside your own heart and look at your own life next to Scripture. You ever seen one of those parallel Bibles that's got, you know, maybe it's like English over here and Spanish over here, or maybe it's like English and Greek over here if you're real fancy. I can't read that, but, um, you know, we call it intralinear. Like, think of it this way. Put Scripture here and your life here. How does it line up? And this last one here that we see in this passage is confidence. Confidence in our salvation, confidence in prayer, confidence that God not only hears you, but wants to hear you. These are things that ought to mark the life of a believer. I want to, I used to do this a lot, and then somebody told me I was reading too much, too many big block quotes, so then I quit doing that. Um, but, but sometimes um, the, the people that we like to refer to as the masters, um, sort of, you know, the, those the, the church fathers that came before us, uh, sometimes they just say it in a way that I can't say it better. And Charles Spurgeon uh, said it this way in, in a commentary on this verse, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, every person who believes in the name of the Son of God has eternal life. We may not doubt this. It's not, a, it's not a matter of inference and deduction, but a matter of revelation from God. We are not to form an opinion about it, but to believe it, for the Lord has said it. It is right for a child of God to know that God is his Father and never to have a question in his heart as to his sonship. It is right for a soul that is married to Christ to know the sweet love of the bridegroom and never to permit a cloud of suspicion to come between himself and the full enjoyment of Christ's love. I love that. That picture of, it's kind of a, a picture of marriage and a picture of adoption in there. For those of you that have ever, have ever you know, been in, involved or ha- had someone adopted in your family, the last thing you want is for that child to question whether or not you're actually their loving parent in the same way. I, I, and this seems to fly in the face of my uh, it's okay to question thing. This is something we ought to work at. Because it's our nature. It's, it's our nature that we doubt. It's our, I mean, look at, look at the apostle Thomas who doubted. It's our nature to doubt because we we believe one thing, and we know, we, I live inside my own head. I know what I think. I know what my struggles are. And it's, and it's hard when we say we believe this, but then we go and, we, and we, we live this way, or we do this, or we fail in this way, or we struggle in that way. And that's when doubt creeps in. And it's important for us, us that are believers, to work at 
believing what God says. In all areas of Scripture, and this is one of them, believe that when God says, you belong to me, he means it. We, um, we took our kids to uh, we're at one of the theme parks with our kids. And um, your kids probably never do this, but they do this thing where they like walk ahead of you and then they start like following a random person because they think they're following you and then they kind of start, start off their own way. But unfortunately, you know, I, I see this whole thing happening, um, which makes me question everything from when I was a kid. How many times I thought I was like hopelessly lost in a crowd and my dad was probably watching me the whole time and like, see, that'll teach you. Because <laughs> I was definitely doing that. But there comes that moment where, okay, if she takes a few more steps, she's, uh, she's going to be lost in the crowd. And I'll say, I'll call out my child's name. I won't say which one. Let's be honest. It could be any of them. Um, I call out my child's name, and they hear my voice, and they realize I'm not the one they're following, and they turn around. There's a powerful passage written by the same guy in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. At the end of that chapter, Jesus is speaking, and he says, <clears throat> he says here in verse, uh, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's another, <laughs> some, some, oh, here it is, never mind, it's at the beginning of the verse, um, beginning of this chapter in verse, um, verse 4, he says, when... When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I, I, I just—I was really struck by that when you know it's like that, that moment, like because like there's all kinds of noise in the crowd and stuff, but there's something about the voice of their father whom they recognize. They cut through all the noise of the crowd. That's a powerful illustration of how we are his sheep and we know his voice. Do you know his voice? When you, when you hear the teaching of God's word or the reading of God's word, does it prick your heart a little bit because it's the voice of your shepherd? Moving on here to the next verse here, verse 14. We, so, so we have confidence in our salvation. We also can have confidence in prayer. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Okay, this can, I want to clarify some things here because this can sometimes feel like, well, if you belong to God, God is like, the, you know those vending machines at the airport or, you know, wherever? They got, like, not just, like, plush toys in it. They got, like, real fancy stuff in it, like headphones and, you know, gaming consoles and cell phones and stuff. It's like, how can that be, you know? And, and we, we can kind of sometimes get this mindset that, like, God, because we 
uh, belong to him and because he loves us and he wants to give us good things that if we, uh, if we, you know, say pretty please just right or if we're good enough and God likes us enough, then he'll give us whatever we ask him. And that is not biblical at all. And I, I struggled in it. I, I struggled in how to how to say this. And once again, I found somebody who said it better, and I don't think I could say it better. Um, a guy uh, who wrote a commentary. His name is Alfred. That was his last name. He said, "If we knew God's will thoroughly and submitted to it heartily, it would be impossible for us to ask anything for the spirit or for the body, which He should not perform." In other words, our our um, our sub, submission to God's will, our we're so in tune with God's will that if we're that in tune with God's will, anything we ask would be within God's will, ought to be. Another way he said it is that the boldness in prayer, which results from knowing that we have eternal life according to his will, which is the believer's will, okay, if we've submitted our will to God, then we want what God wants. And it is therefore no restraint to our prayers. I, I love that, that phrase. It is therefore no restraint to our prayers. It's not like a, you can pray anything, but it's going to be in this box. No, if, if we are submitted to God's will, then, then the things we pray for ought to be also within God's will. If we want what is best for, for others or for ourselves, what is best for us is the things within God's will. Um, if you ever wanted something that wasn't good for you? Me too. There's nothing in God's will that is not good for you. And so when we ask according to His will, it is always best thing for human flourishing. This, this next couple of verses are tricky. Because if, if, you, if you grew up in a Catholic church or if you have any, um, any familiarity with Catholic tradition, uh, you know that there's this idea of, oh, I forget what they even call them, like mortal sins and what is it, venial sins or something. It's like you got, you got the real bad sins and you got the ones that aren't that bad, but you should tell the priest about it or something like that. This is where they get that from. That there are some sins leading to death, but then other sins that don't lead to death. And um, I'm not the first to suggest that that's not the way to understand this passage. Um, in fact, if, if I'm teaching things and I'm the first one to suggest it, you should probably check that against Scripture. I promise this is the last quote from somebody else. <laughs> but with, 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 with things that are this difficult, I, I want to stand on the shoulders of, of, um, of greater men than I. And uh, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said, We cannot pray that the sins of the impenitent or unrepentant and unbelieving should, while they are still unbelieving, be forgiven them. Or that mercy 
which supposes the forgiveness of sins, should be granted to them while they willfully continue such. But we may pray for their repentance. And then he says, and let us truly be thankful that no sin of which anyone truly repents is unto death. I think that's, I think that's a, a great way to understand it, that there are someone who is, who is, we would say, lost in their sins in that they are so committed to them. Maybe have taken on their sin as their new identity. I by no means want to suggest that someone in that situation can't repent of their sins. But just like us, until they do, can I say until we do, how can we be forgiven? The offer of forgiveness is there for all, everyone. But until we repent of our sin and confess it to God and ask for his forgiveness, how can he grant it? So this idea of sin that leads to death, I think the best way to understand it is that it is unrepentant sin. We can pray for repentance for that person. We can preach the gospel to that person. But we can't believe in Jesus Christ for them. And you know, when it's a loved one or a child, someone close to you, that is hard. Because we wish we could just do it for them. Now in school, my mom did some projects for me. Um, It doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. You can't, we can't believe for them. <clears throat> this last uh, section here, that, you know, verses 18 to 21, um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. I want us to pull a camera back because we, we can get we can zoom way in and we can we can start to see a lot of different divisions. I don't mean the bad kind, but just kind of like we can we can start to see a lot of a lot of divisions as, as we look at the world around us. You've got you've got the um, the unbelieving world. And among the unbelievers, you have those who are searching. You have those who um, are com- completely committed to their sins. And you've got those who believe in something, but not the truth. And, you know, you, you, so you see what I mean? You take the unbelieving world, and you've kind of got these ones that are like, you know, like looking for salvation. You've got the ones that feel bad about their sins and the ones that don't feel bad about their sins. You've got the, but, but, but the reality is, pull the camera back, they are all lost. Dead in our trespasses and sins, as the, as the scripture says. And then among believers, we, we can see all kinds of the same kind of divisions. You've got believers who have allowed sin to creep into their lives. You've got believers that, that are fighting but struggle 
You've got believers that seem to have it all together. You've got the believers that are you know, show up to church and pretend to have it all together. You've got, you see what I mean? Okay, but zoom the camera out. There are two kinds of people. There are lost people and there are found people. There are unbelievers and believers. And at the end of the day, when the harvest is taken in, the wheat and the tares will be separated. Not short wheat and tall wheat, this kind of tares, those kind of, no, the wheat and the tares are separated. And at the end of the day, what division matters more than anything else? That one. There will come a day where you're in or you're out. You have either believed or you have not believed. And those of us who have believed, we know that we are from God. And those who have not believed, we know lie in the power of the evil one. We know that we who have believed the evil one does not touch us. Cannot, because we belong to God. But that those who have not believed are until they repent under his power. I almost said hopelessly, but it's not hopelessly. No one is hopelessly lost. Until that moment when we draw our last breath, there is always hope. Because all the sinner must do to be saved, like the rich man that asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? The answer is, repent and believe the gospel. Believe in the name of the Son of God. That is all that is required of us. You see, I want to drive this point home, not to beat a dead horse, but because it is, it is important, and I will close with this. We need to stop looking at the world around us and feeling like the ones that we can reach are the unbelievers that look a lot like us or act a lot like us. They're just that that close. They're almost saved. There is no almost saved. You see, when Jesus was here on this earth, who did he contend with the most? It was the ones that acted the most religious. Who were those that, that came to faith most freely? Those who seemed hopelessly lost. And so I want, to, I want to encourage us to stop looking at the world around us and trying to decide which ones we think the gospel might reach and, and kind of concentrate our efforts that way. Our, our job is really just to go and preach the gospel into all the world and preach the gospel. A way to understand that verb is as you are going, preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're all supposed to be called to mission field in Africa or South America somewhere. It means that we all are in a mission field all the time. Lakeland is our mission field, for sure. I know that for sure. For some of us, it'll work a little further outside, you know, maybe maybe Tampa or Brandon or, you know, 
Zephyr Hills, you know, wherever, wherever it is that life is taking you, all of those are divine appointments. I think sometimes we can be the most hesitant to share the gospel with the people that we know we're still going to have to live next to, be related to, work alongside of. Let's be honest, if you, if you had to pick somebody to share the gospel with and you had, you know, you knew that this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation for you and so um, to, to inform someone that they're a sinner and apart from God's forgiveness through Christ, they are on their way to eternal, an eternity in a real place called hell. Well, that's a conversation you just look forward to having all the time, right? That can be an uncomfortable conversation to someone that is lost in their sins. Now, if you got to pick between someone you were still going to have to come and work next to the next day or someone you were probably never going to see again on the street, which one is easier to talk to? Yeah. Let's stop seeing the division. Let's stop seeing, well, this person's an unbeliever, but they're not coming to faith. Well, this person is uh, this person's an unbeliever, but yeah, they, they might like church. Again, who did Jesus contend with the most? The ones that like church the most. <laughs> okay, and, I, and I, don't, I don't mean that liking church is a bad thing, but, but as, we, as we look at the unbelieving world, let's just see, un, let's just see the unbelieving sheep without a shepherd. Sinners in need of forgiveness, blind to the fact that it is being offered to them. Let's be about our Father's business in lifting as much as we can. The Holy Spirit has to do the work to draw them, but as much as we can to peel the blinders back, share the gospel. Because at the end of the day, there are two kinds of people in this world. The saved and the unsaved. Some people say there's three kinds of people in this world. Those who can count and those that can't. Anyway, no, there's two kinds of people in this world. There are, there are those that belong to God and those under the power of the evil one. We can't save people, but God has made it possible for all to be saved. So let's be about our Father's business. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the confidence that we can approach your throne with our requests, with our questions, with our doubts, with our fears. We can approach you because you are our Father. Thank you that you've given us your word, that we can have confidence in our salvation. And thank you that you have placed us in the mission field that you have placed us in. Thank you for the relationships we have with those that don't know you. God, most of us here in this room don't have the opportunity or have not been called to a foreign mission field, but that doesn't mean that we are unable to fulfill what you have called us to do. We've got people that live next to us, our neighbors, We've got people that work next to us, our co-workers. We've got our family. 
God, give us a heart for the lost wherever we find them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.